Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today, I'm joined by sports dietitian and internationally recognized expert in keen anthropometry, Francis Hallway. This is the third episode in a three-part series with Francis. In this episode, we discuss if there's a relationship between bone structure and body fat and hormone profiles. In addition, Francis explains how climate has impacted our body structure, why arm size may predict lifespan, and the relationship between hip width and muscle mass. But before we get started, if you are a regular listener of the Blueprint Podcast, please take a moment to support the podcast by hitting the subscribe button on whichever listening platform you are joining us from. And if you listen on Apple's platform, please leave us a comment and review as this helps us reach more people on Apple's platform. But now it's time to lean in and learn for the best. Francis, I'm really excited to discuss anthropometry, something I don't know if there's any data on this, but this is just a curiosity of mine. Have you noticed that certain bone structures or body types tend to hold adipose tissue differently? And potentially another question would be a follow-up would be, have you seen any data on different hormone profiles? I'll answer first the last part. There's been a lot of attempts to correlate hormones to body shape and body type and adiposity distribution. There was a strength and conditioning coach, Charles Poliquin from Canada, that really attempted to dive into it. Now, the evidence, as I understand it now, has not been very conclusive to that effect. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, uh, more female hormone deposits more fat in the gluteal femoral region, the triceps area, and the breasts. That's estrogen during the fertile years, because before the menarche and after menopause, your estrogen levels are low. So the body fat distribution in, in females is very different than during the pregnancy years. Now, there's, there's one evolutionary explanation for that, is that the ideal place to have your body fat is in your mid-region, in your stomach and forward in respect to your center of gravity. That means that when you're walking, you are not walking, you are failing to fall forward. So it's effortless, it's energy efficient to have. If you carry a backpack, uh, let's say a 20 pound, 25 pound backpack, if you carry it in your front, around your waist region, around your belly button, it's a lot easier to walk than if you carry it, say, in your, in your ankles. Mm -hmm. or in your arms, or even in your back. So the most efficient place to have adiposity is that one. And that's where it accumulates. The problem with childbearing age is that pregnancy already deposited weight in that region. And if you put more weight on that region, you, you can break the back, your, your lower back. Mm. So there was a redistribution, biomechanical redistribution of the body fat, which is actually energy reserves for a nine-month pregnancy, especially the last six months, and for two to four years of breastfeeding, which was the normal time in evolutionary terms, even though now it's a lot shorter. So you need a lot of energy for that, and that energy is stored in fat, but biomechanically it was distributed in your glutes, in your upper thighs, 
and your triceps and your breast. Mm. So to, to compensate, you know, the center of gravity that you already have from a pregnancy. Now, that doesn't happen in young females and in women after menopause. That doesn't happen in males. There's always exceptions to the rule, and that doesn't mean that someone is abnormal or anything. That, that's okay. But um, it's hard still to correlate the, the association of hormones to uh, body fat distribution. Same with testosterone and uh, muscle mass. Apparently, according to the research uh, done by Stu Phillips Lab in McMaster University in Canada, it's not... I'm talking about the natural field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you put 100%. in an injection of... Everything goes out the you window. Put in, yeah, you put in 250 milligrams of testosterone, you know, everything changes, okay? So let's talk about the natural field here. And um, apparently it's the amount of muscle receptors to testosterone that is the reason of the main drive of hypertrophy and not the amount of testosterone that you have. So the, there's other factors, there's signaling factors that are non-hormonal, like things like the famous mTOR, mammalian uh, target of rapamycin. That's a complicated word for a signaling mechanism that stimulates muscle growth, that you can stimulate it with exercise and things. So so, so this relationship to hormones is not very well correlated. It has some truth to it, but you cannot explain everything from it. There are other factors that explain it. Sure. And I, forgive I me, just, forget the first part of your question. No, no. I, this, this is what I was asking about is like, is there any relationship between like bone structure and adiposity and body structure oh, and yes. hormones? Okay. Do you see people like with wider hips do they tend to hold yeah. more adiposity? Would, do you see any trends on that, along that line? Yeah, yeah. There is some research on having wider hips. S some, some, of the, some of the obesity research on bone structure points to wide hips, wide knees, narrow shoulders, and narrow elbows, and narrow wrists, particularly narrow wrists. So if you're using wrist girth to assess bone structure, it might be misleading. It might be misleading when you have people that have these characteristics. Then again, having wider hips, I don't know how related to hormones it is, but it is related to weight according to height. There was a, a researcher in the U.S. Army that measured all the soldiers that came back from World War II from Europe. Uh, his name was Robert White, and he published some very interesting research. And they were all back from the K rations in Second World War, so they were all lean. None of them was really fat. However, for the same height, people that had two or three more inches in hip width were 20 pounds heavier without having extra fat. And so for the same height, people that had two to three or four more inches in hip width, which is called biiliocrystal width, even though they were same height, they were sev several at least 10 to 20 pounds heavier without being fatter. Mm. I call that the bookcase effect. And um, it's like having two bookcases, a narrow one and a wide one, both the same height. When they're empty and you weigh them, they, there's not too much difference. When you weigh a heavy skeleton and a, and a narrow skeleton, a thin skeleton, the difference might be four to five pounds. That doesn't explain a 20 pound difference in, in body weight. However, when you fill them with books, then the difference is huge. 
The same happens when you fill human skeletons with tissue. So the other aspect of the skeleton is not just the proportions that have biomechanical advantages, also these proportions that make you hold more weight or not. And that can be an advantage in some sports. It can be a disadvantage in others. So assessing weight in regard to height could be very difficult, could be very unfair to people that have short necks, short legs, wide hips, and a wide torso. And those are the characteristics of people, uh, of mountain people that have for generations grown in mountainous regions with little oxygen, especially above two to 3,000 meters. Uh, of, that would be... 10,000 feet. This is fascinating. I have never heard any of this before. I mean, you, you are full of, this is, this is an amazing field of study. Well, our, our body shape has been driven by climate. For example, in the tropical regions, you need, a, you need to lose heat. Uh -huh. So it's advantageous to have a lot of skin surface area for every pound of your body. So it makes sense to have long arms, long legs, narrow hips. The same thing happens with tropical animals. If you go to the North Hemisphere, you go to Greenland, you see polar bears. So people that have grown in cold climates for many thousands of generations, it's advantageous to conserve heat by having big size, a big trunk and sh shorter limbs. Even the shape of your head, when you look at it from on top, if it's round, that's a shape that conserves heat. If it's elongated, that's a shape that loses heat better. So all our body shape and the way we look is very much driven by adaptations to climate and by losing heat, preserving heat, achieving reproduction with less calories or more calories. It's a beautiful design. I have one more it's question. It's a beautiful design. It's, it's amazing. I mean, the more we learn about the human body, it is just remarkable. I took a, in my doctoral work, I took a biochemistry course with people that are biochemists. I just wanted to stretch myself and really learn. And I'll tell you what, the organization at that level of the human body is just marvelous. I mean, it is, you know, if you really want to have a, just a beautiful view of the body, there's a hand surgeon named Jean-Claude Gimberto, and um, he would insert cameras into the hands. He's a hand surgeon and he would Wow. Pull away and you could see the fascial architecture. Just beautiful stuff. Anyways, this is off, off subject, but I just love hearing about this because it just makes you kind of marvel at how amazing the human body is. It's amazing. It's amazing. With, with all this data you've collected and all the observations that you have made, is there anything that we could glean from this to improve our health span or lifespan? Well, some issues are genetic. I mean, there's data to show that taller people live less unfortunately. However, genes load the gun, environment pulls the trigger, as the saying goes. I like to study human migrations because it's the same genes in a different environment to see how they behave. So I think Hawaii is a beautiful environment when it, when it comes to health and body shape and everything, because you have three generations of immigrants there from Asia. The grandparents keep their old nutritional and exercise habits. Mm -hmm. And the grandchildren are, adopt a lot of our Western lifestyle and food. And the health differences are incredible. Hmm. So I think that's a nice scenario to study the effect of environment or diet or exercise. Another one is the Pima Aboriginal or, or ancestral population. Half of it 
is in Mexico and half of it is in New Mexico with diff very different lifestyles and nutrition. So it's the same bone structure, uh, the same physiology, the same genes, but with different diets, with different lifestyles, and the health outcomes are completely different. The Pima were studied because they have the highest rate of diabetes in of all ethnic groups in the US, mm. however, which is close to 50%. And the Pima genetic brothers that lived in Mexico on corn, the three sisters on corn, maize, I mean, maize, uh, beans and, and pumpkin, you know, they had a 7% uh, diabetes rate and the lifestyles were different, agriculture. But the main thing I can, to answer your question specifically, the main thing is to pay attention to, to muscle mass mm. more. To, we, we've, we've studied enough the effects of body fat and body fat, the visceral deep adipose fat that's underneath your, your, your abdominal region mixed with your organs. That's the dangerous fat associated with metabolic disease. But muscle mass is really a driving factor, an important factor. So strength training and eating enough protein is very important. And there was this week, there was a very good article published on that. Uh, based on especially health based on aging, published by a great dietitian called Alan Aragon and Kevin Tipton, who passed away recently. Mm. And they just published a very interesting review of the subject when it comes to health and, and, and aging. So I think, I think there are issues that are more important than what bone structure you have. Of course, in India, you have people with very light bone structure that have 23 in body mass index would be, which class is classified as ideal, but they have little muscle mass and they have too much fat and visceral adipose fat and their weight is low because of the bone structure, but they are at risk. So independently of your bone structure or specifically because of your bone structure, you, you should assess your internal fatness that's correlated with these metabolic disease and you should assess your muscle mass because that's correlated with uh, uh, health. And we have data on more than 4,000 uh, people in gerontology in Australia and at hospitals at St. Luke's Roosevelt. Hainsfield, Stephen Hainsfield studied this. He studied the arm muscle area and he found that when people reached, and this coincides with the Australian data on gerontology, that when people diminish the arm muscle area to 11 square centimeters, the risk of dying within the next month skyrockets. <laughs> so, so assessing muscle mass in a simple way, just by measuring your girth and subtracting the skin fold and calculating your arm muscle area could be quite a fast screening tool for this. And um, it's also correlated with grip strength so I think uh, I, I would point the issue towards uh, muscle mass. <laughs> wow. I mean, this is this is really important. I think there was a period of time, you know, when I grew up when it was aerobic, 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 aerobic. And that was a lot of push from the Cooper Institute. And there's, look, we know there was a paper that just came out that, you know, the, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services recommends at least 150 minutes of moderate physical activity a week. And now to they're showing to, to live longer, there was like a 23% reduction in all-cause mortality when people exercised well over 300 minutes a week of moderate intensity. But the strength training piece is so critical because 
the muscle is um it's almost a longevity organ for so many different factors and it's very it's it's just encouraging to hear you say this as somebody that is a masterful i I just say you're you're an expert in the measurement Mm -hmm. of the human body and of all the things that we could be doing we need to get up and move and we need to lift heavier things in a safe way if we want to live long and we got to take care of ourselves and so this has just been a fascinating conversation. Mm -hmm. If I can point people to some places for them to follow you, where would you want them to follow you out or get more information about what you're doing? Oh, okay. I I have some research in PubMed for those that are research inclined. Otherwise, I have uh, social networks, uh, mainly Instagram, but (laughs) it's mainly in Spanish. (laughs) Um, So that's not much good. Oh, you can always hit the translate button. Oh, yeah. Okay. But um. If if I could add one little bit, sure, please. I'm not too worried about longevity oh. because that's also quite genetic. Take away the factors that you mess up by by abusing substances that are will cut your life short. But what I'm worried about is another index that is studied by the World Health Organization, which is the quality that you have in your life, your in your last 12 years of life. Mm. That's what I'm worried about how good your life quality is in your last 12 years of life. So I, I want to be, you know, lifting weights and happy and about in my last 12 years of life. Is there a name for this period? There is, but uh, there is, but um, I, I, I forget it right now. I think I've heard Peter but I know it's call an it index. the marginal decade. Is that what they call that? Maybe, yeah. maybe you're right. But uh, I remember reading about it and go, okay, that's the important factor. <laughs> makes so much sense. Like if the last 12 years of your life, let's, let's think forward about what we want to be like. Do we want to be out with our families? Do we want to be ambulatory? Do we want to be, for me, I love exercise. Do I want to be picking things up and self-reliant? And then you need to back cast from there, so to speak, and, and think about how you're going to get there. So Francis, this has just been a wonderful conversation. I'm so thankful and grateful that you came on the show to share your wisdom. We will put things <laughs> in the show you. notes for people to find you and I'm just excited to see what great work you're going to continue doing with, with Dr. Wellman. We'll see. We'll see. Thank you very much, Eric. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening to the Blueprint Podcast. If you love this episode, please take a screenshot on your phone and post it on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, or wherever you post stuff. And be sure to tag me and tell me why you like this episode and what you'd like to hear in the future so I can create the best content for you. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next show.